good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And I too want to welcome each of you. Thank you for joining us in worship. You know, today we start uh, uh, a new series in our sermon series. And it's a series on the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. And these are really the, the teachings and the sayings of Jesus Christ. It's found in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, probably one of the most popular sermons ever preached by our own Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. Through seven is the Sermon on the Mount, but the Beatitudes that we're talking about uh, is found in Matthew chapter five, and you know the Beatitudes tells us that people are happy, or they're fortunate, or they're or they're blessed because of their relationship with Jesus, because of the lifestyle they live, and because of the kind of attitudes that they would cultivate as part of that lifestyle. So the word Beatitude is really from a Latin word called beatus, which means blessing or happiness. And so we have these sayings or these teachings of Jesus that he blesses people. And he says you can be happy if these things happen in your life. So we're going to read together the Beatitudes. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to church. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's in the New Testament. The very first book in the New Testament is Matthew. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 5. And starting with verse 1 through verse 12. And if you don't have your Bibles, we have it up on the big screen there. And I want us to read the scriptures together. And uh, as you read out loud, as you actually speak the words, and as you hear the words being spoken... Hopefully that will resonate within your heart and soul and within your mind. And hopefully it will sink in and it will stay there a little bit longer than normal. But let's start reading together and we're starting with verse 1. So let's read together. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So did you notice that all of these, these eight Beatitudes, these eight characteristics that Jesus speaks, they're all introduced with the word blessed. You see, God wants to bless his people. God wants to show you his favor. God wants you to be happy. Now I have to define the word happiness. It's not a surface kind of happiness that we, we normally speak about when we use the word happy. But it's a deep, everlasting kind of happiness and joy and peace. But God 
wants that for us. That's part of his blessing. And he wants, part of his blessing is as well as he wants to give his approval. We all need approval, don't we? Growing up as children, even as young adults, we sought the approval of our, our mother or our father or of a teacher, of, of a coach, or of our employer. But we all need that sense of approval. And God is saying, I want to bless you. I want to approve you. I want to let you know that you are mine. And so these Beatitudes talk about the blessings that can be ours. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at these Beatitudes. And we're going to look at them one by one. And I think that as we look at them, we're going to discover that they are actually really counterculture, if I may. They really don't fit with the way the world thinks today. If you really think about that, it says, happy are you if you're poor in spirit. Happy are you if you're mourned. Happy are you if you're meek. If you think about that in today's world, that doesn't quite make sense. So you see, on the surface... The Beatitudes don't seem to make much sense. You may be thinking to yourself, well, you know, Jesus spoke these words like, like 2,000 years ago. And how can they be relevant for me today in the 21st century in 2014? For you see, in today's world, the fortunate ones, the blessed ones, are those with lots of money and with lots of disposable income, and not the poor. The fortunate ones in our world today are those who are sure of themselves and self-confident. Not those who are sad, and not those who mourn. And today, the fortunate ones are those who enjoy all the fruit of their success. Those who have the seats of power, or access to those in seats of power. And not the meek. And the fortunate ones or the blessed ones today are those who give orders rather than take orders from others. Certainly not the persecuted. So you see these values of today are in direct opposition to the values stressed and lifted up by Jesus himself. You see, Jesus' teachings are filled with paradoxes. Paradoxes. You know, paradoxes is something that is contradictory to what we normally expect. And we see that in a lot of Jesus' teachings. According to Jesus, the way up is actually down. In Luke twenty two twenty six, he says, The greatest among you shall be like the youngest, and the one who rules is like the one who serves. In Luke seventeen thirty three, he says, Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will preserve it. Doesn't that sound kind of a contradictory? And in Matthew eleven twenty five, he turns everything upside down when he says that little children can understand more than the wise and the learned. You see, the way Jesus taught is also filled with paradoxes. As he used the most common things to explain the most profound truths. Some of the greatest truths we learn come from simple things like a grain of mustard seed or a lost coin or a simple drink of water from the well. In fact, Jesus' own life 
is one amazing paradox. Here he is, the king of kings, but he's being born in an animal's feeding trough. Here he is, the holy and righteous one, but he dies the death of a criminal. He is the Lord of lords, but he becomes a suffering servant. He is the sinless one, but he eats and he drinks with the sinners. You see the paradox? But nowhere in his preaching, nowhere is his preaching more filled with paradoxes than it is in the Beatitudes. And so let's take a closer look at the first Beatitude this morning. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, the third verse. And this is what it says. And we're going to be speaking more about that this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Say to your other neighbor, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Say it one more time, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, don't you think it would seem pretty important to be poor in spirit? Because it's the poor in spirit who will be in the kingdom of heaven. Think about that for a minute. And it would also appear from this saying that those who are not poor in spirit will not be in the kingdom of heaven. These are Jesus' words, not mine. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It's not that God wants us to think poorly of ourselves, but I believe he wants us to think properly of ourselves. We need to have the right attitude, the right mindset about who we really are, about ourselves. You see, in the New Testament, there are, there are two, two words that are translated as poor in the Bible. And the first word means more like the working poor. You're just barely scraping by. You can sort of make ends meet. That's the first word, poor. But the second word, the other word that is used for poor, is a lot more desperate. It means like you're a beggar. It means having nothing. It means being destitute. It means absolute poverty. And that's that particular definition of poor in the New Testament. And it's this particular definition, this second definition, this word that's used in this beatitude. So considering that, we might say that the poor in spirit means to be spiritually bankrupt, not having anything, to be absolutely bankrupt, destitute, nothing available. And we need to recognize that we come before God empty-handed in regards to having anything that is of value to God. It means that we recognize that we are in complete spiritual poverty. That we have nothing that we can add to 
or nothing to contribute of our own toward obtaining the kingdom of God. That's what poor in spirit means. To be spiritually bankrupt would be to consider ourselves spiritually like a homeless beggar on the street who has nothing that you would desire from him for you to give him some money. And if, if you are going to give him or not give anything to him based solely on yourself and your mercy toward him. So in other words, he has nothing to give you. And if you decide to give him something, it's only out of the mercy or kindness of your heart because you will surely not get anything in return from him because he has nothing to offer you. It's not like that he could bargain with you. It's not like he could say, hey, mister, I have these old smelly socks with holes in them. You could have them if you give me a dollar. Nobody wants that. You'd probably just give him the dollar anyway out of the kindness of your heart. But before God, we are like a beggar who has nothing to offer God. Nothing but filthy rags to offer him. You see, we are spiritually bankrupt. Now the fact is that all of us, if we're a human being, we are all spiritually bankrupt. Romans says, for all have sinned and fall short, fall way short of the glory of God. In and of ourselves, there's nothing that we can offer God because we are spiritually bankrupt. And so to be poor in spirit probably needs to be better defined as not only that we are spiritually bankrupt, but that we realize that we are aware of our spiritual bankruptcy. Because there are people who are spiritually bankrupt who think that their smelly, holy socks are valuable and they still don't have the true attitude of being poor in spirit. So the definition of being poor in spirit is having the awareness, being aware that I am spiritually bankrupt. Jesus tells a story in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18. And it's a story that he's speaking specifically to a specific group of people. And you, you're probably very familiar with this story. It's a parable. And this is what the scriptures tells us. Jesus tells this parable to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. And here's the story. Watch it on the screen. These two men going to church, and they're going up in the temple to pray, and here's the story. Jesus told a story to some people who thought they were better than others and who looked down on everyone else. Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood over by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not greedy, dishonest, and unfaithful in marriage like other people. And I am really glad that I am not like that tax collector over there. I go without eating for two days a week, 
and I give you one-tenth of all I earn. The tax collector stood off at a distance and did not think he was good enough even to look up towards heaven. He was so sorry for what he had done that he pounded his chest and prayed, God have pity on me. I am such a sinner. Then Jesus said, When the two men went home, it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who was pleasing God. If you put yourself above others, you will be put down. But if you humble yourself, you will be honored. Remember that story? See, both men, both men prayed. But only one prayer was heard. Why? Because one prayed out of his spiritual poverty, while the other bragged about himself and about his good deeds. And, and the scriptures tells us, and Jesus says, it was a tax collector who went home justified before God. Why? Because he came before God poor in spirit, recognizing his spiritual bankruptcy. And I suppose the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, am I poor in spirit? Am I poor in spirit in my relationship with God, in my relationship with other people? I want us to look at some characteristics of those who are poor in spirit so that we might be able to examine ourselves and perhaps recognize our own sense of spiritual bankruptcy. And there's just three, three simple things here. There's many more. But one characteristic of someone who is poor in spirit is simply this, that they have a broken and a contrite heart. A broken and a contrite heart. King David, he was a man described as a man after God's own heart. And it, and it could be said that he was poor in spirit. You remember after he had committed the sin with Bathsheba, and committed murder, he went and he wrote this psalm, Psalm 51, and he repented. He was spiritually bankrupt. He was poor in spirit. And he humbled himself. And this is what he wrote in Psalm 51, verse 17. He says, A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God loves that when we come to him in all humility and he welcomes us and he embraces us and he approves of us and he blesses us. Blessed are though poor, are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We need to have a broken heart. We need to have a broken heart over our sin and recognize that we are spiritually bankrupt. We need to know that we have nothing but filthy rags to offer God. That we have nothing and let me ask you this question. Does your heart break? Does your heart break over your sin? Or are you just upset that you were found out? Or that you face consequences of your actions? That happens a lot, don't it? Doesn't it? We say we're sorry. We apologize. We ask for forgiveness when we harm someone or we do something wrong. But most of the times we do that. Why? Because we get caught. 
but there's a big difference. It's the motive of our heart. And so the question is, does our heart really break over the sins we commit? For you see, a person who is poor in spirit has a broken heart over their sin. Another characteristic of the poor in spirit is that he or she has a humble heart. A humble heart. James chapter 4 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humility recognizes. It recognizes that anything we have, or anything we can do, or any gift that we've received, or any talent that we have, is from God. It's pride that says, look at me and what I can do. How many of you take selfie pictures? Come on, admit it. How many of you take selfie pictures and then you just send it to everybody? Right? Someone goes to Paris and they take a picture of the beautiful Eiffel Tower. But what do they do? They stick their big fat head in the picture. So all I see is a little tiny piece of the Eiffel Tower sticking out of somebody's head. Right? We get a picture of Diamond Head and someone puts their face in it. Come on, you guys all do it, don't you? But that's what pride does. I'm not saying anything wrong with selfie pictures. But pride says, look at me and what I can do. And that's what the, this is the message of the world, isn't it? We live in a very self-centered, very narcissistic kind of world. Where it's all about me. It's all about puffing myself up. It's all about me making myself look good. It's all about my image. It's more about image than it is about substance. But that's what the world teaches, and that's what, we're, that's what we're involved in. And so pride says, look at me, and what can I, and what I can do, and how wonderful, and how beautiful, and how great, and how talented, and how whatever I am. That's what the world says. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Pride says, look at me, and what I can do. Humility says, which is the other side of the coin, humility says, look at God and how good He is. You see, pride causes us to compare ourselves with others. It's like the Pharisee did. Of course he was better. He had to make himself feel better. And how did he do that? By pushing someone else down. And that's what pride does. It compares ourselves with other people. And we have to make ourselves feel better. But humility, humility causes us to compare ourselves with God. And to recognize how far short we fall. So if you want to compare yourselves with anybody or anything, don't compare with others. That's what the world does. But see your life in the perspective of how do I measure up to God's standard, to God's standard of holiness and purity. So let's not look at others and think that we're better than them. And if we do, and if we do, then we need to humble ourselves before the Lord so that he will lift you up.
The poor in spirit will have a heart of humility. And then the last thing I want to leave with you this morning. The the poor in spirit has a broken and a contrite heart, a humble heart. And the third thing is a dependent heart. A dependent heart. King David depended on the Lord. And listen to what he writes in Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. He says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. You see, we need to depend on God for everything. For our salvation, for our daily provision, for our growth, even for our next breath. We need to depend on God. And too often, too often we rely on ourselves and our own self-sufficiency and our own good works and our own sense of righteousness to live this life. And this is where many, many believers, this is where many Christians stumble in their walk with the Lord. You see, they receive and depend on God's grace for their salvation. But after they're saved, they begin to depend on themselves and their own righteousness and their own good works and their own brain and their own willpower and everything else for the rest of living their life. And they stop depending on God. And this is when, that's when we find ourselves falling back in bondage to sin. You see, when we stop depending on God, we're depending on ourselves. And we begin to plant the seeds of spiritual pride. So we need to depend on God daily. And that's so important in the Christian walk. That our relationship with God is a a relationship of dependence on Him on a daily basis. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, he said, Since we live by the Spirit Let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see, the poor in spirit depend on God and keep in step with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And how do we do that? We need continual reminders. That's why we have the church. That's why we need to be in church on a regular basis. That's why you need to be in in a small group of some sort of other believers who can encourage you who can keep you accountable, who can pray with you, who can do life together. These are the things that we need in our life to make sure that we're continuing to depend on God every single moment of our lives. We need to come and worship the Lord. This morning, our worship was wonderful. Worship isn't about me, it isn't about the band, it isn't even about the music. It's about us taking our eyes off of ourselves and focusing on God and His goodness and His greatness and His awesomeness. And we take the eyes off of ourselves and we focus it on God. And the music helps and the atmosphere helps. So it's so important that we do that because it helps us to keep in perspective who God is and who I am in respect to Him. So 
so we need to continually be reminded of our need to depend on God each and every day. So to be poor in spirit requires that we keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is only then that we'll be able to get a proper view of ourselves. And it helps us to humble ourselves before God.